We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. It's good to have all of you here, whether you're visiting from long, um, far away, or you live here in the city, or this is your home church. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us this evening on this great occasion of Christmas Eve, the time when we come together as the people of God to celebrate this tremendous gift. Um, At the heart of this story, which we are telling tonight and, and being refreshed in tonight, and at the heart of the Christian story, not just the Christmas story, although the Christmas story is at the heart of the Christian story, is a reality that we might prefer not to think much about, which is the reality of our helplessness. It gets lost often behind a lot of the holiday activities that fill up our calendars during the month of December. But the reality of our helplessness needs to remain central because it's the relief of our helplessness to what God has provided that fuels the genuine joy of the Christian life, and of what's behind this reality of the Christmas story. We don't like to think about our helplessness, though. We prefer to think about or view ourselves as competent, self-sufficient, reliable, resourceful. But honestly, those views often don't really fit with reality. They just fit with what we like to project. But we know in the depth of our own hearts that those things often aren't the case. And they certainly aren't compatible with the reality of the Christian story. One biblical scholar who studies this book that we call the Bible for a living said this, For Christianity has always posited that we cannot solve our own problems, at least our profoundest problems. Rather, something is wrong with human beings, so wretchedly wrong that matters cannot be made right without divine intervention, or what we call God's grace. Which is to say that at least spiritually speaking, Every one of us is deeply broken. In biblical language, we are dead, lifeless, and in desperate need of help and rescue from the outside. Now, I wonder if you can think about the last time in your life when you were in desperate need and helplessly broken. Most of you know that for me, that wasn't a far distant memory. Uh, On September 3rd, I was riding my mountain bike on Stratton Mountain in Vermont, and I was nearing the end of a run by myself and I crashed. I don't know how I crashed. It happened so fast I didn't even have time to think this is going to hurt. Um, But I felt like a rag doll in a washing machine, and then I came to on my back, looking up at the blue sky on an incline. Thankfully, my head was on the top of the incline, and looking through some bushes, and I just remember thinking, I am in a lot of pain, more pain than I can remember ever being in. I can't really feel my fingers right now, and something is deeply wrong. After an hour ambulance ride to a hospital in Vermont, I discovered I had a burst fracture of my T8 vertebrae right in the middle of my spine. But at the time, I didn't know that. I just knew that I was in tremendous pain, that I couldn't move, crawl, or walk, and that I desperately needed help. And I wonder if you've been in a situation like that in your life, whether physically or emotionally, relationally, and certainly all of us have been spiritually. In that position and when just the moment I came to you, I was looking at the sky and I just cried out, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. Desperately needed help. And Jesus sent help. Uh, One 
sign of his mercy was through a cell phone that actually worked. I was able to reach into my bike jersey and pull it out. And uh, through a compassionate wife and friends who went into action when I made a phone call. And uh, through a ski patrol team that was well-trained in extracting people with serious injuries and had all the right equipment to do so. And then the next day, through surgeons, including one who attends here at Park Street Church at MGH, who performed a spinal fusion surgery on my spine, fusing five of my vertebrae together to stabilize my spine. And that, that help came in kind of two forms. There was all that I just mentioned, which was the initial rescue and fixing of my brokenness. And then there was a second form, which I'm still in today, which was more of the long walks. I could only walk for two months. That was my PT. And then I got in the hands of a real physical therapist, and I'm in the middle of doing all of those annoying, long, and tiring exercises and stretches for any of you who have been into PT that are putting my body back together, that I can live into the new life I've been given with a titanium-enhanced spine. Those two phases of my own physical recovery I want to offer to you are seen in God's spiritual rescue of spiritually broken people, as we see it in a little letter that Paul wrote to his, to, uh, his disciple Titus, called the letter of Titus, and we read from chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. In the church, we actually don't think that I have anything new to say to you tonight. We actually believe that God continues to speak through the Bible, through his word. And so I want to open the Bible with you briefly this evening to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. If you'd like to, you can follow along, and there's a Bible in front of you in the pew, and it's on page 998. We're going to see these two dimensions or phases of God's rescue. First, the initial rescuing and fixing, and then second, the ongoing uh, living into that new reality that God has given to us. So let's start in verse 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The great news at the heart of the Christian faith is that God did not let our cries for help fall on deaf ears, much like he helped me in September in my physical brokenness. God also responds to our cries for help from our state, our broken and helpless state spiritually. God, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. You might ask, well, how does this happen? And that's at the heart of this story that we're remembering this evening on Christmas Eve. How is the rescue mission accomplished? The grace of God appeared, Paul says here, that's just other language for saying that God entered into our world in the person of his son, in Jesus, as a baby born to Mary 2,000 years ago, as a helpless baby. We actually believe, as Christians, that the God of the universe, who made everything that you see, actually entered into our broken situation as one of us. This is the miracle of the incarnation. John will say it in his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God enters in, but he enters in as a baby that then grows into a man for the sake of a rescue mission, and the rescue is accomplished in this way. So look with me at verse 14. He mentions the great God and Savior Jesus Christ at the end of verse 13, and this is what he said he did, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, who gave himself for us. That's how the rescue took place. God did not only enter into our predicament and situation as human flesh, but he grew up to die on a Roman cross. And through that death, 
to bring about the rescue and fixing that we desperately needed as we were crying for help. There are two ways that we see that the results of Christ's self-giving in verse 14. I'm not sure if you caught them, but let me point them out. The first was to redeem us from all lawlessness. So he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. The word redeem means to set free. It means that we were captives. We were held in bondage to a power called sin, and we couldn't get away. We couldn't set ourselves free. We needed help from the outside. And sin, it's this word that the scriptures use to talk about a power in the world that rejects and resists the rule of God. That's why it's called lawlessness, to redeem us from all lawlessness here. God is the lawgiver. Sin just kind of rejects what God designs and creates for his people and goes in its own way. And sin opposes the life-giving boundaries, guidance, and direction of the God who made us and holds us in its grasp in this state of rebellion. We tend not to think that we're in captivity when we live life according to what we want to do. We think that we're free to do whatever we want. But actually, from a biblical perspective, we're being held captive. It's a great little proverb in Proverbs 11, verse 6, that says the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. They think they're doing what they want to do, what they're compelled to do, but in fact, they're just being held captive by their lust or their desire, which has gone astray from the life-giving guidance of our Creator. So we think, too, we're often, we think we're living a free life, but when actually, in reality, we're being held captive by our habits or our addictions or our behaviors or our attitudes or our ways of thinking. And some of you know very well that you're stuck in those ruts, even here tonight whatever you may look like on the outside. And God knows that too. The self-giving of Jesus is the means by which we are actually liberated from that captivity, by which we're set free from these lifeless ways. The second thing, if you look in verse 14 again with me, so after to redeem us from all lawlessness, Paul says, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the idea of purification, The reality that sin and that power actually renders us dirty, filthy, guilty, and stained. And again, I don't think we need to do a lot to establish this fact. Most of us just living understand that we're not exactly what we were meant to be and that when we live in certain ways, we do feel a genuine sense of repulsion and self-disgust and a pushing away from parts of us that we know aren't quite right. Things that we would be ashamed of other people knew about us. Sin renders us this this kind of filth and guilt, but what Paul is saying is that the gift of God in Jesus, who gave himself for us, actually purifies us. It brings the cleansing that we all desperately know that we need. This is sung about in a great hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that sounds like good religious speak. I've heard those words before, but I want you to know that at the heart of this Christian story and the good news that we have to proclaim is the fact that you can be washed and cleansed and purified in a way that I really believe you desperately long for in your soul. So verse 14 spells out the rescue and the fixing 
this phase one of God's response to our need. Our great God and Savior gives himself for us to redeem us and to purify us. We're not left to fend for ourselves either in this world. Notice what he says after purify for himself, what? A people for his own possession. That is, when we come to know this Jesus, when we cry out to him for help and he responds, we actually become a part of his own people. We're guarded and protected by him. We're not left to fend for ourselves in a world of scarcity. Rather, we live in the world of God's abundance, grace, and provision. And that is a good, wide space to live and to be. And this is the good news of great joy that will be for all the people that the angel announces to the shepherds in Luke 2. For to us a child is born. Salvation has come. And we are rescued and fixed from our broken state. But there's a phase two in this passage, a regimen for growing. This gift has an ongoing impact on us in a deep way, which we read about in verses 12 and 13. This isn't a gift that we receive like so many of the gifts that will open up tomorrow morning from under the tree that most of you kids are so excited about, and I understand why. But those gifts, as we adults in the room could say to you, and you even know this yourself if you're a child, those gifts only give a fleeting sense of happiness that will soon fade away and be covered over by the difficulties or realities of life or by getting back to school in January. This gift is not like that, though. This gift is more like the gift that my wife gave to her mom in 2005. She gave her a kidney in a kidney transplant surgery. And that new kidney enabled my mother-in-law's body to live for another 15 years, a dialysis-free life, which was indeed like a new lease on life. If any of you have, or are on dialysis or have family or friends who are, you know how hard that is on the body. She was given this gift. Now, eventually that gift wore out, and Mandy's mom went home to be with the Lord a year, a little over a year ago. But the gift that God gives to us is more like that. It enters into us and transforms and changes us from the inside out. When we've really received this gift, it is a gift of new life with a new heart and a new spirit that enables us to live in an entirely new way in a life that never ends. Some of you will remember when the creation account in Genesis 2, God forms Adam from the dust of the ground, and then you remember what happens. He breathes on him the breath of life, and it says Adam became a living being. Well, in no less of a drastic way, God has actually, through the work of his son on the cross, breathed again a breath of new creation life upon spiritually dead people like us to bring us into the fullness of new life that he has come to bring. And God gives us the gift of life in him in a powerful way. And that life then, that grace of God, about which Paul writes that he says appeared in verse 11, that begins then to instruct us or teach us to live in this new life. Much like the physical therapy regimen that I have been given with my broken back in order to begin to live in a new kind of way with the new back that I have, so also God's rescue of us assigns to us or gives to us an instruction and a training that leads us to live into the new life that he's given us as a gift. And we see that in three ways in our text in verses 12 and 13. Renouncing, living, and waiting. That's the regimen that I want you to think about with me through this text. Look at verse 12. This gift of God's grace 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, some of you hear that and you think, well, there is why Christianity is so, such a bore and a killjoy and no fun. It is true that this new life does require a renunciation, Paul says here, of ungodliness and worldly passions. And that means a kind of putting to death a part of ourselves and our culture and our world and our appetites. But honestly, those parts of ourselves that we are to renounce literally are kind of strangling us to death. So what's the problem with putting things to death that are actually trying to destroy our life, I would ask? We cannot indulge a kind of unbridled indulgence of our desires and find life. That's not to say that we can't enjoy good things, the good things of God and his creation. Actually, God, God's son, Jesus, did, after all, turn water into wine, the best wine, at a wedding in Cana in Galilee long ago. He is a God who celebrates, a God of the feast, a God who would take delight in the beauty and richness of a service like this to bring glory to his name and for us to enjoy in good food even after this service and throughout tomorrow and this next week. God delights in, the, in these things. But notice that in our verse, ungodliness is tied with worldly passions. So these worldly passions, they actually are, they've spilled over out of the bounds for which God created them, and they're a little bit on their own now, unbounded by God's guidance and desire. And they have a rebellious spirit to them, and indulging them leads to nothing other than heartache, disappointment, despair, and bondage. Many of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you might remember Edward's indulgence of his desire for the white witch's Turkish delight did not lead anywhere good, but rather led to captivity and enslavement and actually to a deformation of his character through which he betrayed his very siblings. God's grace and the gift of Jesus', Jesus Christ's self-giving teaches us to renounce those things that are destroying life within us and encourages us to walk on the new way that God has put us on after his rescue. So there's renunciation, but this renunciation is for the sake of embrace as well. Secondly, there is living. Look with me back at the text. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is the embrace of godliness. When we're brought into the family of God, we're actually told to be like God to be imitators of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that means awakening to a way of life that's different than the default way of life in the world around us. A way of life marked by what the Bible talks about as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This life is not natural by any means. It doesn't come easy to any one of us, but it is the way of the family. If we've been brought in to be a part of that people who are a special possession of Jesus, we are now part of this family. It is the way of our father. It's the way of our elder brother, Jesus. And it has also become our way through which God's gift of grace is now training us to walk in that way. The training of God's grace is not, I should say, a training that makes us fit for his love. Sometimes we get this confused and we think, well, God will love me if I live this way. That's not what the Bible teaches or this verse, but rather that God deeply loves us. He's come to us in our moment of total helplessness and put us back together and rescued us from our bondage. And now in a fitting response to that deep love, his ongoing grace is shaping us and training us and moving us to walk in this new way of life where we embrace godliness self-control, and upright living to his glory and praise. 
And finally, so there's renouncing, then there's living. Verse 13, there's waiting. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You might say, well, why, what, what's the point here? I would say this, that most often we're actually waiting for something else, aren't we? We're waiting to get married, or waiting to have kids, or waiting to graduate from college, or waiting to get out of our, out of, uh, from under our parents' thumb and be independent, or waiting to make a scientific discovery, or waiting for any number of things. And none of those things are problematic. They're actually good things, but they're not fundamentally what those who have received this, this gift of God's grace are waiting for. We're waiting for him, the self-giving God to return. This is what Paul calls our blessed hope in verse 13. The hope that Jesus, the one who entered for the first time as a baby in a manger, grew up and died on a Roman cross to liberate us and set us free, that he will return. And when he returns, he will make everything that is wrong with the world right. He will finally fix everything that remains broken and out of joint. And this is our great hope. And animated by this blessed hope and waiting for his next appearing, we are able then to press in further to the life of renunciation and the life of living and embracing holiness and godliness through our King. So let me close by asking you, do you know that you are broken? Deeply broken. And that that's at the heart of the joy of this service this evening. Not that we're broken, but that in our brokenness, God intervened. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And have you cried out from that place of brokenness, help me, Jesus, help me. When you do, the grace of Jesus floods into your life and changes you, fixes you, and puts you on a new path and a new course. And then having been rescued and fixed in that way, given a new heart, this grace continues to, continues to fuel you on a pathway of life that leads to the richest, fullest, most peaceful and restful kind of life that there is, a life that in fact will never end. Jesus calls this eternal life, and we believe it is so. And let me say as well that this isn't just something that happens in the background. It is gloriously all-consuming this process of receiving this gift and then being transformed by it day by day. Since my accident on September 3rd and the brokenness and the rescue and the fixing and the regimen that's come after that, it's honestly been a consuming reality day in and day out in which I'm still making progress and not without much pain. And it takes discipline and intentionality. And I would actually say that in the same way, our receiving the rescue of God his liberation and purification, his gift of grace that teaches us and trains us is an ongoing life project that consumes us day after day after day. But it's a glorious one and one that I would love to invite you into tonight, to know the gift of the grace of God, to receive the gift as one who can only receive because you are so broken and then to begin to be transformed by that gift, by renouncing worldly passions, embracing the life that God has come to give you, and waiting for his return when he will make all things new. Merry Christmas.
Know this gift. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you, Lord, that we are invited into life. And I pray that you would work that life into us more deeply, even now, and perhaps into some of us for the first time, in a way that would alter the course of our lives, setting us on a new path, under your gracious and benevolent rule, as recipients of your amazing grace. We love you, God. We thank you for your initiating love in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.